an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 915. Say, if you're going to be in New York... Uh, between November 8th or 10, I'll be performing at Caroline's as part of New York Comedy Festival. My buddy Mike Furman's going to be there. We'll have some special guests, but it's uh, two shows a night, eight through ten, the 8th through the 10th of November. You can get tickets at nycomedyfestival.com or just go to carolines.com, Caroline's with a C. And I hope to see there. Caroline's is a fantastic club. Um, I have a very special place in my heart for it. It's kind of legendary, so uh, come on out. It'll be a lot of fun. Then I'll be at uh, Helium in Portland, December 7 through 9. So uh, just go to their website and get tickets for that. Um, love Portland as well. And uh, haven't been back there for a while. So uh, both those shows uh, coming up. Coming up. Also, uh, I want to tell you some uh, Nerdist Community Corkboard stuff. Just a reminder, there's a lot of other amazing podcasts on the Nerdist Podcast Network. Uh, uh, we just picked up the Bruce Lee podcast, which is very exciting. Um, so uh, check that out. It's Bruce's daughter and her friend Sharon. Uh, they basically talk about Bruce's philosophy. I just did. They've been doing it for a long time. I just did the first episode over at the Nerdist, uh, you know, when it moved over to the Nerdist Podcast Network. But uh, it's a beautiful podcast if you haven't uh, haven't checked it out yet. Also, Chewing It, hosted by Kevin Heffernan and Steve Lemmy of Super Troopers. Um, the Jackie and Lori Show with Jackie Cation and Lori Kilmartin. The JV Club, hosted by Janet Varney, uh, who's going to be an upcoming Nerdist Podcast guest. Find all of our podcasts at Nerdist.com. Subscribe on Apple uh, or through your favorite podcast app. And my friend Jamie Flam, who is a delightful comedy nerd, used to book the improv for many years. He's, uh, he's great. And he, he left working in traditional comedy booking to start his dream, which was a new comedy venue at the historic Hayworth Theater in Los Angeles. He wants to put live comedy there, music, variety, movie screenings. He wants to really create an unforgettable experience in a nice community of comics uh, um, uh, at the Hayworth Theater. So obviously this is expensive. This takes a lot of work. So he's launched a Kickstarter page to help move it along. Go to kickstarter.com, search Jamie Flam, F-L-A-M, and uh, check it out. Support a guy's dream to make uh, to entertain you if you live in the Los Angeles area. Um, this episode of the podcast is Lawrence Fishburne, who is... Awesome. I mean, you know, listen, you'd be a fan of the guy's work for a long time, and uh, and then you meet him, and he's even better than you think he's gonna be. So I I'm a I've been a huge fan of Lawrence Fishburne for a long time. You know, going back to Pee Wee's Playhouse. But when you look, we talk about this in the podcast. When you look at everything he's done, you can't. There's there's no way to really pin him down. Like he does every kind of role. And he does comedy, he does action, he does drama. Like he's just a he's such a well-rounded actor and a uh, and was a really great guy. And uh, you know, and I, I pitched some of him. I pitched him some ideas in this podcast. So hopefully, hopefully uh, he runs with them. But uh, but I really, really, really enjoyed having him over to the house. That's where we do all these podcasts now. By the way, we do them at the house ever since that midnight ended. But uh, Lawrence Fishburne is promoting Last Flag Flying. It's in theaters November third. Uh, he's also on Blackish Tuesdays at nine p.m. on ABC. And uh, and I, uh, I I I support your support of him. Um, but again. Really, really, really terrific guy. This episode brought to you by Stamps.com. Stamps, it's the holidays coming up. They don't want you to go to the post office because you don't need to. You just don't need to do it. 
any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. Click, print, mail. You're done. Your friendly postal carrier will come take it from you and then just send it to the person that you uh, intend to send it to. Stamps.com never closes. You can print uh, 24-7. They're going to send you a digital scale that automatically calculates the exact postage you need. And it's going to help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. You even get discounts that you can't get at the post office. They're going to bring all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. Right now, you too can enjoy Stamps.com with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in NERDIST. That is Stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. Never go to the post office again. You just don't need to do it. Uh, And now here's the NERDIST podcast, episode number 915, with the amazing Lawrence Fishburne. Katie, please roll the thing. Now entering... Nerdist.com Alright, man, I'm having a little, uh... Some of that? Yeah, I got the allergy thing, and I yep. neglected to take what I needed to take today. So you I just popped a Claritin. Oh, you have Claritin. Okay. I just popped one, so I should be good. In about we have, okay, good. So we, we do have that stuff, but you're good. Uh, I'm sure the uh, the rigorous schedule of promotion is probably not helping everything that's going uh, on. It's all right. I haven't had to do it in a long time, so it's fine. So it's all right. Yeah, it's all right. Is this, is this, are you just in full promotion mode for Last Flag Flying? Is that um, what Kind of, but I'm also working on... Blackish. Yep, of course. Here in LA. And um, I've been working on the Ant Man sequel. I know. So I've been busy. That's very exciting. Yeah, it's cool. You get to do both universes. It, yeah, I'm one of the few that's been in both the DC and the Marvel universe. Except uh, Perry White is not, he doesn't really have a superpower. Yeah, I mean, he's a newspaper man, which used to be a superpower. <laughs> Until, uh, Things have changed Until a the lot. digital thing entered into the world, and so now it's kind of, you know, a dying old god, I guess. Yeah, it's just, everything is just so blended together. Yeah. It's like, how do you even know? Yeah, it's hard. I, I mean, every day I sort of wake up and I go, do I look at the news today, or should I just not look at the news today? Because I know it's all going to be horrible. Most of it. <laughs> Most of it. What do you do to stay... You know, do you have anything you do to just stay positive or to... Situate? Yeah, I think positively. <laughs> That's it. It's pretty simple. It's pretty basic. You know, there's gratitude. Yeah. Um, there's uh, there's hope. Yeah. Um, there's goodness in the world. There's goodness in people. Well, that's good. Um I think it's nice for people to hear that. It's true. Because it is easy to forget. Yes, you know? yeah, especially in these times when things seem to be so divided. Well, it's not even just... It, it's also that when you start looking at stuff on the internet, all these algorithms go, oh, here's more of that thing you were looking at. So right. It's very easy, before you know it, you just have constructed this weird igloo of <laughs> dissonance and mm. anger and rage. Well, since 2001, we've been bombarded with a constant diet of fear in this country. Absolutely. And so I've just, I recognized that pretty quickly and I was able to go, okay, I don't want to eat that. (laughs) So I won't be eating too much of that. I mean, you can't help but get some of it on your food anyway Mm -hmm. because it's so pervasive. Right. But you don't have to eat all of it. It is interesting to me how so many of the the sort of philosophical principles of the matrix are kind of it's like yeah we're kind of living in these weird matrices mm. of in- misinformation mm. and we're kind of constructing our own mm-hmm. and avatars are sort of like your image ideal in a mate i mean it's it's not it's not that far from our reality no i mean it's it's pretty amazing that you know it's 18 almost 20 years ago that mm-hmm. movie was yeah. that it all that it does there are some pieces of it that seem like uh yeah it's, now Kind of what it's like, yeah. And now they're warning us about AI and... <laughs> yes. Yeah, I did this thing about AI called um, Year Million. That uh, sort of a predictor of what all that's going to be like. Not anywhere near our lifetime, but, you know... Right. Centuries from now. And what did you determine? 
Well, their their whole take is that you know we're gonna be we're gonna be integrated with it. Singularity, like uh, yeah. Ray Kurzweil. Yeah, exactly. Are you into futurism in that sense? I mean, you know, as much as any science fiction geek is, yeah. I mean, but right. not not you know, I haven't read everything. I've I've heard a lot. Right. Yeah. Well, a lot of it, you know, is sort of predicated on the idea that not only are we doing this, but also, I guess, in order to survive as a species, you we know, have to. We have to sort of figure out how yeah. to. And how do you, and I guess ultimately, with a, a lot of it, and with a lot of science fiction, the underlying principle is, you know, how do we retain our humanity in the midst of all that? I think, we'll, I think the, the physiological bits will, will take care of that for us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we're going to be able to move around without brains. <laughs> That's 100% not gonna, true. Our bodies are not going to work without brains. If Absolutely. we enhance our brains, okay, then we enhance our brains. And maybe, you know, we can leave the bodies behind, but... You know, that's not going to happen in our lifetime. Right. But I do think that we're still even just trying to figure out how to retain our humanity in, in the world as it is now. As it is now, sure. <laughs> Much less yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, you know, these superstorms and everything keeping us pretty human. Y- yeah. These fires and things. It's yeah, I know. Keeping us pretty human. Well, yeah. Fire! Run! <laughs> Storm! I'm going to ride it out, man. <laughs> Where, what, what have I gotten myself into? Why didn't I leave when I had the chance? Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> You know, we all, it's so funny that, you know, some, some, some people really just think like, I'm bigger than oh, the environment. Ah, I was here in 96 when, uh, you know, what's his name came true. I was fine. <laughs> I, I always, I always, I'm always a little puzzled by people go, hey, you know, uh, this place has been standing, no earthquakes taking it down. Like, yet, it doesn't mean, that means if there hasn't been one, there's yeah. a more likely, you know. But everywhere you live, there's like. It's earthquakes up here in the hills. It's fires and earthquakes well, and in the, the Midwest. It's tornadoes, I, I hurricanes. Kind of got puzzled by it. just this year alone. I mean, is there is are any of these weather systems happening anywhere else but North America? Um, I do, well, uh, you know, that's an excellent question. I mean, Mexico, right? It's technically North America. Well, and, and sort of, you know, in the middle. In the middle, yeah. But the uh, I know when we went to Japan last year, we were there for typhoon season, but it mm-hmm. didn't. But it didn't seem. It wasn't like a superstorm. It wasn't. Well, they it wasn't weren't like, like a mega storm. Yeah. You know, the fires in Australia were big, but you know, there's been a couple of years between them. And, right. But there's been no serious mega weather system. On the European continent or the African continent, or yeah, basically, Russia, uh, the, China, the, environment, the, like the planet's like let's just smear, let's, let's isolate it right here, <laughs> where you guys, let's just smear these dickheads off the planet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just get rid of it. we'll just start over. Yeah, we'll just get, give it back to the indigenous That's, peoples. That was the thing that, that I was struck by this year. Is like it seems that these superstorms are sort of localized. Yeah, and also, but also, it's also, they're also the ones that we hear about the most. There might be some other, but I don't know, yeah, actually. did we hear about a megastorm that, like, was going to wipe out, like, a small city? I don't know, those storms China. are un-American. They're un-American. We don't listen to them. We don't listen to American wouldn't storms. We, wouldn't, wouldn't the weather service go, oh, there's a huge storm, tornado, whatever, approaching, you know, name it, somewhere in China? Well, I'll tell you what there is, is that uh, I have an app called QuakeFeed. Mm-hmm. And you can set parameters for, you know, any, you know, regional and also magnitude. So you mm-hmm. can say anything locally above a three I want to know about, anything globally above a six or seven I want to know about, and it gives you alerts. And wow. there are a lot of earthquakes. A lot of quakes. A lot of, I mean, all the time. If you look all at it. All the time. If you just wow. look at how many there are at any given time, it's, it's you know, it's, I guess it's normal, oh. because, but it is upsetting. I like, like that. Though. How many sevens in a row? Where? Oh, my God. You know, a lot, okay. a lot of them happen in the middle of the ocean, so it doesn't, no one's oh, really so affected. Like, right. Okay. But you see a lot of seismic activity. It's just, it's called quake feed, you know. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Nice. Nice. You say you're a science fiction geek. Was this something that, uh, was this, is this a lifelong, was this a lifelong yeah, thing? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. What was your first? What was your? What was the first thing that you saw when you were growing up that made you think, "Oh yeah, that's I, I connect with that as a genre." Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. Fantastic. Come on. You know that whole ending is just like because I grew up in New York. Yeah. You know the music was 
just otherworldly and the landscapes were really otherworldly. So that movie, obviously Star Trek and Star Wars, and Boy and His Dog. Yeah. Um, yeah, those were sort of the first ones. Was a movie, was a, you know, was something like Star Trek or Planet of the Apes, did you, when you watched that, did you think, oh, I want to do that. That's what I, I want to do that. Oh, I was doing it, actually. I mean, I started Oh, working, you were a kid I actor. Started, yeah, I started That's when right. I was 10. So it, it was pretty, it happened really fast for me, you know. Man, the 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 breadth of work. I mean, you, you, you the the diversity of your roles is pretty crazy because I feel like there's, there's not really, you know, there isn't really like oh Lawrence Fishburne he's the blank guy. Yeah, there it's isn't. Like, I've tried to avoid that as much as I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've tried to keep it moving so that that doesn't happen. But I mean, there are people who have who have it in their heads that there is such a thing. Right. Yeah, there are people that think that there is such a thing, but those people don't know the full scope of my work, like from beginning to now. Right. And so you, you when you are, because the entertainment business is not, is rarely easy to control. Yeah. Um, and so you don't always control what parts are being offered to you. So what no. are you doing to, is it just saying no to things that aren't interesting or what, how, what's the decision process? Uh, it's intuitive mostly. And it's, a lot of luck, and it's also been um, work begets work begets work begets work. So, you know, um, sometimes you get cast uh, doing the thing that people are most comfortable with you doing. Mm-hmm. And for me, I found that that has been the dark light mentor mm-hmm. um, which which really began with Boys in the Hood right um, and then sort of continued with The Matrix and is even part of the Perry White thing right um, so that's the that's sort of thematically the thing that I do that most people respond to yeah and are kind of comfortable with, but you know, I I get to change it up a little bit, you know, as much as I can. Yeah, but even I mean, I think anyone, and I, I feel like you know, most people are familiar with your work, but I don't mm-hmm. know if they really understand the breadth of it. If someone should just take a look at your IMDb page and go, "Oh my god," because it's sitcoms and yeah. dramas yeah. and Ike Turner, yeah, and and Cowboy Curtis right. it's and, like it's and all school days and school and, days yeah. and you know yeah. and so there's really not one there's really not one thing I mean do you no there's not one thing and is that do you think that's part of the secret to a, a career longevity is just constantly surprising I, I, I think for me it's been uh, the desired path um, it's been the way in which I keep it interesting for me and try to keep growing yeah. So that it's not, it doesn't just become, you know, one thing. Uh, Blackish, for example, is really the first time I've done comedy since Pee Wee. Right. And most people, you know, don't think of me as being funny. I'm, you know, thought of as a serious and dramatic actor, and that's great. But I've I've been funny all my life. <laughs> Um, and this has been a nice way to sort of introduce people to that. And at the same time, because of the themes that we're dealing with in Blackish, it's also connected to all the work that I've done that really is about, you know, little known or completely unknown African American stories that have happened, whether sure. it's Tuskegee or Miss Evers Boys or Cornbread or even Boys in the Hood. Um, so that theme has always been a part of the work, but it's not exclusive. It's like, you know, I, I like being able to tell stories about the African-American experience that maybe not everybody is aware of. But I also like, you know, The Matrix, which is, you know, the thing that sort of changed everything. You know, I've been really lucky. I've been in two, three movies that changed things. You know, Apocalypse Now, like, changed of course. everything. I think Boys in the Hood changed things, too. 
Um, and then, of course, the matrix changed everything too. So. Do you mean for you personally, or do you mean, I mean for, for like the, the larger I mean social like, conversation? I mean, like for the lo- larger social conversation, uh, and and in, with with respect to film and, and filmmaking and storytelling and the way movies were perceived and received. You know, Apocalypse Now was the first time that a movie cost you know more than five dollars to go see it. Right, it was like seven dollars to go see Apocalypse Now, and <laughs> it came out. Yeah, seven bucks, and it came with a program, and it was like, you know, seventy millimeter, and it still holds up. I mean, it's a it's a masterpiece of American cinema. You go see that movie, and you're like changed by it. Did you could you could you feel that that was happening? Do you feel? That I knew that I knew that that was happening because I was with those guys, and that's what their intention was. Mm-hmm. You know, Francis Coppola and Vittorio Storaro and Dean Tavolaris, and the guys behind the movie. It was their intention to make something that was as monumental as the movie is. But did it feel like during that particular process? Did it feel like I don't know if this is going to come together, or no, did no, you really believe? No, I was fourteen years old, and and these guys were guys I looked up to, and and you know. They brought me into their fold. So, of course I believed it. And do you feel it on these other films, too? Like, did you? I felt it with boys. I mean, I felt that it was really something special. I didn't know if anybody would... I didn't know if the public would respond to it the way that they did, but I certainly knew what it was when I looked at it. I knew it was very special. And, how and the did... same is true of The Matrix. I knew it was very special. I didn't know that it would become the global phenomenon that it did. Right. But the Wachowskis did have... Uh, the intention of changing the paradigm for storytelling with 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 action and and sort of philosophy and all that. So when when the shift happens and Boys in the Hood comes out, mm-hmm. what is the what what are you feeling and what is it what how, how does it change the conversation? Like what 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 positive things did you notice after that? Uh, I mean, I just for me, I was just grateful to be a part of it and and. Um, and happy to have been of service because basically a friend of mine explained to me that the impact that the movie had like around the world was great culturally because it was great for like you say the social conversation about you know what it's like to live um, in in a world where you don't feel safe and how do you negotiate that as a young person like how do you navigate all of that you know, whether it's gang violence or whether it's drugs or whether it's not having the opportunity to get a really good education and move forward in life. Like, how do you deal with all of that? And and who's there to help you? And so the character I got to play is the dark mentor because you think, oh, he's going to go live with his father and his father's this terrible man. Mm-hmm. Um, and you realize that his father's not a terrible man. He's 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 a serious man. He comes off kind of dark, but he turns out to be the light mentor at the end of the, at the thing. Um, he actually is very protective and very loving of his son and fiercely protective of him. And um, The effect that it had is I suddenly became the father to a fatherless generation of people. It's interesting that in the 90s, because in the 80s it feels like, oh, everyone was just sort of fucking around and having... And, and really mm-hmm. in the 90s you start seeing films and, and maybe boys in the hood is uh, is one of the films that helped change this it is but t- but telling like really socially relevant stories right. not just like not just we're going to have fun no we're not yeah exactly it wasn't just like kid and play house party <laughs> that's right <laughs> Which, still and a there's movie. a place for that yeah <laughs> there's a place for those movies those movies are fun you know those movies actually hold up when you see them absolutely you know um but it's just you know the serious side of things and even you know the what's love got to do with it is I mean, hi, sort of highlighting what what her story was, mm-hmm. but you know, and and having to, I mean, as an as as an actor, you really you you are supposed to inhabit these characters and sure. tell the story. But I mean, does it do, do? Are you able to wash it off at the end of the day? Or are you playing this guy? Oh yeah, yeah. That one was you know, I had I made a I had to make a real concentrated effort to make sure that I wasn't carrying him around all the time. Yeah, because uh, I really did enter into those spaces and. You know, I did a lot of stuff to make sure that there was no, you know, residue on me when it was done. Yeah. yeah. What uh, do do you think fondly back to 
Pee Wee's Playhouse? Oh, yes. Oh, you do? Oh, oh good. yes. I'm absolutely. so glad to hear that. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, uh, People have always been like, why did you do that? I was like, because I needed a job. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I knew Paul Rubens through a mutual friend, and I liked Paul Rubens, and although I, I confess that I did not get what he was doing when I first saw him do Pee Wee. Yeah. It it kind of it slowly grew on me, <laughs> and I liken it to like what it must have been like to have been on the Batman television show in the nineteen right. sixties. Yeah, you know, it was. I mean, we had a great group of actors. You know, the late Phil Hartman, yes, um, Epatha Murkison, mm-hmm. um, the late William Marshall, uh, John Paragon. You know, I mean, it, it was special. It was really. Special Mark Mother's bow with the yeah. music, and um, you know, just the idea. Like, if you think about it, you know, we had a theme song, right? The opening of Pee Wee's Playhouse had a theme song that was that was like came in like two sections. You know, there's this sort of very kind of ethereal thing that happens at the beginning, and then it goes into this crazy tune, and you couldn't do that now. No, how come? You can't do that on television now. You watch any television show that comes on, there's no theme song. There's no... <laughs> no, because they're afraid of some no people are going to click away. There's no... Yeah. I mean, it's, it is such a... It, it, is, it is both a magical time mm-hmm. for entertainment, and mm-hmm. it's also a very scary time for entertainment, yeah. because there's just so much of everything, and anything can take your attention. Your phone, yeah. your laptop, your iPad, yeah. anything can be... And the networks are like, just don't turn away. Just, for, just don't just turn don't, away. Don't look. Don't yeah. look away. Yeah. Please, just for a second. Please, just watch. I don't know. Uh, but I love doing the playoffs. It was, it was great. It That's fantastic. Fun, yeah. oh, I'm so glad to hear that because yeah. I never would have said, why would you do that? My yeah. question would be like, when do you get to do that again? again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Do you still talk to Paul? Ever? Sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm that's great. He's good. He was trying to do, you know, he did the movie for Netflix. Yeah, I remember. You know, which I thought was pretty cool. I yeah, liked him and really Joe fun. together. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Him and Joe, I thought that was really great pairing and that they were really funny. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it that particular that particular character i mean it, it that's i mean that's sort of antithetical to what we were talking about before mm-hmm. it's like you inhabit all these different characters and but having the experience of like well you are this guy for a long time you know you know this character yeah yeah but maybe better than you know yourself sure but you but mostly you're going to be that guy and is that okay are you cool you with that you know what listen you get assigned an archetype as an actor that's a beautiful thing okay that's a beautiful thing that you get, that you have a silent contract with the audience. And the contract is that the audience expects you to show up and be that guy. Yeah. And you show up and you be that guy. That's okay. Yeah. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try and do other things if you can. Right. Because not everybody can do more than their archetype. Right. Not everybody can go outside of their... Everybody doesn't have the kind of range that I have. Right. I'm really, really fortunate. I have tremendous range. But I've been trying to develop tremendous range since I was a kid. I always wanted to be more than one thing. And so I've tried to be more than one thing. How have you seen the limitations change Mm -hmm. in the past 40, 45 years? Well, you know, there's always a fight. There's always a fight. Never ends. The fight never ends. Oh, it never goes away. There's always, you listen, you always got to hustle, you always got to fight. That shit is not going to change. How much of the fight, because I I find sometimes, like, I, I ask myself, is this really a fight, or am I so used to fighting and putting out fires mm-hmm. that I am creating this in my mm-hmm. head so that I have like mm-hmm. a dragon to slay? Right. Do you know right. what? The, do you have a yeah, sense of this? I just, I can only tell you that with my experience, like, there are going to be times when it's easy, and it really, really just kind of falls off the bone for you, yeah. right? But then there are other times when. You know, you're going to struggle. And particularly when you're talking about making progress, right? If you're going to, you want to step outside the box. I want to do something that's different from the last thing that I did. And how comfortable are you with that? Some people are going to be all right with that. Some people are going to be like, uh, you know, um, can you just um, just be the guy? <laughs> Please don't try anything. I don't yeah, want to get fired. I just, I just, uh, and then there are other people who are like, do your thing, man. Yeah. You know. Well, it's, it's what I find so interesting about entertainment in general mm-hmm. is that 
in, in a lot of cases, you have non-creative people who may think they're creative people yes. that are sort of controlling the creative, the creative process. The most interesting aspect of it is just that. Because when a lo- you find yourself in a situation where you're working with people who, because they're working in our business, right. but they're not really the creative end of our business, but they assume that because they're in our business that what they're doing is creative. <laughs> right, 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 right. When in fact it's more administrative and it's more executive than it is creative. Absolutely. Um, and it's necessary and it's important doesn't necessarily mean that they have the best instincts about what needs to happen creatively. Right. And sometimes those things wind up being conflict and you have to kind of work it out. Well, and alternatively, a lot of creative people are not great managers no. and not great at handling infrastructure uh-uh. and not really good <laughs> at figuring out how to allocate funds. And right, so right. It, it is just trying to figure out like, okay, you're good at this and I'm good mm-hmm. at this, so let's just figure out how to, yeah. I will tell you how to do that and you don't tell me Exactly, how to do exactly. I mean, I have that kind of a great relationship with that with both my manager and my agent, you know, who both, you know, dabbled in being in theater when they were young and had a passion for it and loved it but realized, really recognized very early that they didn't have the whatever the X factor thing is yeah. to really do it as a career, moved into sort of the business side of things and developed their skills and found that they had an aptitude and an ability for that that was far better than their creative ability. Yeah. And they've been using that. And, you know, so we have a good, we have a good way of, of, of working together. So you're... Your superpower as a storyteller, do you, in the, in the terms of uh, with great power comes great responsibility, mm-hmm. when you sort of look at the landscape, when you look at the social landscape or the cultural landscape and you say, you know, these are things that I'm not okay with, these are injustices that I feel like I want to say something about, mm-hmm. do you then look for something or to create something that can sort of tell a story that you feel like will help? Uh, to, to deal with that for yourself, to highlight these types of situations? Well, i tell you what has happened is that I've sort of been in, in line with that kind of stuff, and that kind of stuff has just come to me because I'm in line with that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. I'm open to that kind of stuff, and I'm open to a whole bunch of stuff, and I think my real superpower is the fact that I'm just open to whatever it is. I'm open and available to look at, talk about, think about, and entertain the idea of doing just about anything. Yeah. I'm not closed off to anything based on what it's about or, you know, what it looks like or what it smells like. Yeah. You know, I've worked with probably more first-time directors than most actors in my position in a very long time. Um, Over the past, let's say, 10 years, I've probably worked with maybe... Four or five, like first-time directors, um, which is kind of unusual for somebody in my position, is what I've been told. Well, but if you really like the idea of telling fresh stories, and someone who hasn't been, yeah, beaten down, yeah, somebody who's like <laughs> like right out the gate, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, everybody's got to start somewhere. Yeah, and so do you. When you accept these types of roles, are you comfortable just turning over and going, hey, you know, mold this how you want? Or do you kind of come in as a little bit of a mentor? I come in and go, hey, you know, like, how can I help you? Like, here's what I think. Are you thinking this? Tell me what you're thinking. I mean, I approach it really in the collaborative spirit. I mean, it's not about, you know, I know more than you do. How do I know more about a piece that a writer-director has written if he's written it? That's a great way to think about going into any creative endeavor is instead of saying like I need to make sure this happens of just saying how can no. I help this process no, how, how can I help, I help you? you do what I do to help you yeah do how you do, do I do what I do to help you because I like the part you know obviously I, I wouldn't take something if I didn't like the part if I didn't like the story so I, I'm in on that level I'm like yeah this is really cool you've written something really cool I want to ask you about this bit I want to ask you about that bit but I don't have to say it needs to be this or it needs to be that. I mean, I've said that in maybe one particular occasion. There's been, there was one piece that came my way that the guy wanted me to do, and I was like, well, I'll do it if you do this, if you do X, Y, and Z. But it wasn't necessarily about my character. It was about 
something else that was inside the script that he just didn't go further far enough I thought oh interesting yeah and he didn't do it he wouldn't do it he didn't want to do it he was too afraid to do it and so you didn't be so I didn't do the movie I mean that's a nice position to be in. <laughs> I mean, I think you've kind of earned it. I think you've I've earned, earned it. Earned it. You've I've earned, earned it. it. I've earned it. Yeah. How do you? What? What? What centers you? Like, what makes you so um, comfortable? And where do you draw? You know, where do you sort of draw your your power from? Uh, from the everlasting spirit, from divine consciousness, from that which most people refer to as God. Mm-hmm. And how do you manifest that? How do you... Well, you just... I sit down and shut up. I mean, you know, they say (laughs) um, that when you... uh, Prayer is when you talk to God. Mm -hmm. Meditation is when you listen. Oh, that's real. I've never heard that. So it's those two things. I mean, it's just, you know, recognizing that, you know, you're not the center of the universe and being grateful for the things that you have and... Trying to, you know, be the best person you can be and, you know, being present with people. You know, I'm not a religious person. Um, I'm not a church-going person. But I believe in God and I believe in, you know, the universe is conspiring to help us all the time. I mean, it's to... To be well adjusted is a very unique point of view for someone who's been a, an actor since they were ten. Yeah, especially through the seventies and the eighties. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who could survive those decades yeah, <laughs> and crazy. thrive. Yeah, it's crazy. it's crazy. What were some of the what were some of the speed bumps along the way, and how did you, you navigate know, I, them I when was, you were growing I up? I was incredibly impatient and self centered, like most actors when I was younger. Uh, I was incredibly egotistical, I'm sure, when I was younger. Um, but I got humbled, man, you know. I mean, I didn't get everything I wanted, you know. I didn't get everything I wanted. I got, I had to wait, you know, um, a lot longer than I thought I was supposed to wait. But it actually turned out that it was much better for me to have to wait for my dreams to start to manifest and become real. I think it's good for people to hear that because it's easy to get impatient, yeah. especially if you feel like, I've been working at this for like two years. Man, I've been doing this for five years, man. What's going on? <laughs> Sucks. I don't go back home. Fuck all this. <laughs> yeah. Who yeah. need this? Yeah. I, you know, I had to wait 20 years. And then, One of my childhood dreams was to play the Broadway stage, you know, in a, in a black, in a drama that was about black people, but like real black people, not like... You know, the stereotype of black people. Right. So, but I had to wait 20 years. And did you recognize it when it was happening? Oh, wait, I think Oh, I recognized it instantly. Yeah. It's an August Wilson play. How did that start to change? What happened to make that start to change? So it wasn't, you know, like white dudes writing black stories. Yeah, well, I mean, all of that was like, well, that was kind of what you dealt with in the 80s. Like, you would, I would go to audition for things or I would get things and there would be these black characters that were written, but they really didn't have any depth. They were kind of surface and they were expositional and they were at the fringes of the stories. And so I would always bring my own sort of sense of authenticity and what was real and genuine and what their histories might be. And sometimes it would almost get me in trouble because people would kind of be like, well, why are you not changing? And I'd be like, yeah, man, I'm changing it because this shit ain't real. <laughs> First of all, uh, I'd like to play a real person. And so, uh, but that was fine. You know, that, it worked out. That's fine. And then somewhere, you know, somewhere around, you know, 80, it was, you know what it was? I'll tell you exactly what it was. It was, <laughs> it was, um, it was Ronald Reagan's ascendant to the presidency. Because collectively, folks, I, I think black folks in America realized that when Ronald Reagan became the president, that we were on our own and we were going to have to fend for ourselves. So do it, it, you think that sparked this strong sense of community and storytelling? It, it, it sets the strong sense of creative like output. Um, you know, it's when Spike Lee and Maddie Rich and, you know, Wynn Marsalis and Bradford Marsalis and, you know, a lot of people started coming up and like telling their stories and and doing things you know um, it was in the late it was in the mid to late 80s you know it's when hip hop really took off 
Right. Right, right, right. Because we were on our own. We felt that we were on our own. I think largely, collectively, as a community, African Americans in this country realized, like, Ronald Reagan wasn't interested in us. He wasn't interested in our problems. He wasn't interested in our lives. He wasn't going to help us. He wasn't, we weren't going to be a part of things as, as America. And so th- we started creating things. And it felt like at that time that people were finally ready to listen. Yeah, people, people had been listening. People had been listening. I mean, we had been like, you know, the whole civil rights thing and then the women's rights thing and then, you know, the gas crisis thing and then all the terrorism. And then suddenly, you know, it was, what they call him? The great communicator? <laughs> and we couldn't understand a fucking word he was saying, except <laughs> we knew that he was secretly saying, fuck you niggas. <laughs> <laughs> you niggas are on your own. <laughs> But it did, but it came out like this. Well, 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 I, uh, well, well, Nancy says that, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, don't, uh, stay Yeah, that's what that the... shit was. I mean, that's when they started, that's when they basically changed the, the educational system in the country. It's when they started dumbing things down. It's when they started taking things out. That's when Latin was removed from the curricula in American universities. That's when all the... Arts and all the sciences suddenly became, do we really need that? Right, right, right. That's when that started to happen. And 20 years later, it produced a generation of people who, when they ran into those buildings, when they knocked those buildings down, now you got a generation of people who are like, what? Right. Because they weren't taught to think. Right. They weren't taught to question. They weren't taught to think. They were taught that all the smart shit is stupid. To be an intellectual, to have interest in art and science, to have an interest in poetry, to have an interest in beauty and humanity, was weak. But that's why it's so important that people continue telling those stories yes. and promoting those stories, and uh, and to anyone who will listen <laughs> to the to the non Kardashian swath right. of our cultural landscape, right. right? Of like, we need to we need to rally. We really yeah. need to focus. Yeah, we need to focus on our humanity. We need to really get our humanity back. We need to check that. I mean, that's it. The, the technology thing. This is great stuff because it allows us to share ideas. Right, directly with directly people. with each other. Yeah, that's the great part about it. The unfortunate part about it is that we are self-revealing before we're self-reflecting. Right, right. And we're telling too much about the mundane aspects of our lives, that which is really kind of surface. Um, you know, look what I ate. You know, look who I met. <laughs> you know, don't I look fabulous in this? It's we're projecting what we want to be to each other as opposed to revealing who we really are so we're self-revealing but the self-revealing is like it's just the it's the top layer it's like oh look at the icing on my cake yes or it, but it, <laughs> it is the matrix ideal it's the matrix ideal yes it's your it's your digital self that you want I'm super cool I have I'm, great friends yeah, I have this I have that look yeah, at all these places I go yeah, yeah, yeah. okay whatever yeah. I gotta feel like we should have like some... I saw a guy wearing a t-shirt on one of the last movies I did that was great and it said one day your life will be as wonderful as you pretend it is. <laughs> and I thought, that's genius. That's genius, you know? I mean, it's weird. I mean, I wish, I, I can't wait for the day where we get past, where people get past the need to sort of, you know, present themselves as the thing. And it's really more about, the ideas and the ways in which we can come together. I mean, sadly, we do that in the face, in the wake of these tragedies that have happened, like this tragedy in Vegas. Yeah. Um, when those kind of things happen, I think we start using, people start using the technology in the best possible way. Because yes. then we start sharing our feelings. Right. You and see? figuring out how to help each yeah, other. Yeah, we start sharing our feelings and we start sharing our love. And that's great. But then there's this shift where we go back to sharing, you know, our anger and our hate and our resentment and our, you know. 
our opinions. Well, those are all. Well, yeah, but the, those those are all defensive mechanisms, right. and and it's and it's it, t- it requires more energy, and it's riskier to be honest with yes. each other because we don't want someone to go, "You're dumb." Right? Oh, well, no one. Yeah. yeah. Did you yeah. see my Instagram feed? You know, <laughs> I'm not dumb. Yeah. You know, exactly. But I, but I I really I, I was thinking it might be interesting to to start like. Getting people like a, even just one day a week to just post honest Instagram pics all day. Yeah, you know, I cried today. Like, here's mm-hmm. a picture of me crying. I had a bad this. I yelled at someone because yeah. I was being a dickhead. Here's right. me not not filtered. perfect. Yeah, yeah, just yes. like a no, not like perfect. not just like no no Instagram filter say, but like a no filter Monday where there are no there are no filters to disguise the authenticity and the reality of yeah. who we are. Right, right. But it's you know. There's so much that is just so we social media is just people yelling a lot of the exactly. time, and no one. Exactly. It's not designed to foster conversations. No, it's not. Conversations are conversations, and one should be in the presence of the other person. You should yeah. be together in a space when you're having a conversation with somebody. Yeah, yeah. there are, and, and except in, maybe in the more extreme cases, but I'm sure that. You know, someone that you got into some stupid argument with on a forum, on Reddit or Twitter or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you met that person at a restaurant or at a bar and you were like, and you looked them in the eye. It'd be a completely different exchange. Totally exchange. Hey, completely I didn't Completely different exchange. Let's understand each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, there's always the threat that you could get your ass kicked. Of course. <laughs> if you say something dumb. <laughs> there's no threat on the internet no, that you're going to get your no, ass nobody kicked. Nobody can hurt you. Nobody can yeah. touch you. Yeah. But, yeah, you say that to me in front of my face, we, you know. We might go. I might have to step outside with you. So then, this is an, this is a question that I have for you. Then I'm yeah. curious to hear your take on this. So if so, if, if we use if we essentially weaponize our anonymity online, if yes. we use if we use these digital walls to protect ourselves, yeah. do you think people are more who they are, or do you think that it's more <laughs> posturing because they're afraid? Because it upsets me to think that there are that many really toxic people in the world. It's, a, it's probably a little bit of both. It's probably a little bit of both. That they are, depending upon what they're talking about, what the issue might be, that they're more themselves. Um, but also there's definitely, you know, they're putting out, you know, who they want to be. Right. As opposed to who they really are. And who, but I think at the end of the day, it is all like people really do want to connect and they really do want community. And people, I think, try to get community by seeking attention because right. attention is gratifying to our egos. Right. And it's it's sort of like the misbehaving child. Well, if I can't get the love, then I'll, I'll just I'll fuck do something it. bad. I'll do something bad. Yeah. And then I'll get attention. And then I have your attention. Bad attention is better than no attention at all. Yeah. Are you social media active at all? I have no social media. Ah, that's part of your superpower. <laughs> that's part none. of the, that sense of calm and strength. Is, uh, that's no a lot of Twitter, it. I have no Facebook. I have no Instagram. I have never had it. And I'm just very, very reluctant to do it because once you open that door, you really can't close it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that my social life is media worthy. I think that my work life is. Right. But there's already a media that's set up that's been in place for a hundred years that can through which I can let people know what I'm doing work wise. Oh yeah, that's true. Actually now that I think about it, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of Lawrence Fishburne in the news or in the you know, in any of this stuff. You're able to keep all that separate. My life isn't that interesting. My work <laughs> is, but my life isn't. <laughs> well, it may not be to you. I mean, you know, it's my life, and I like my life, and I like to keep my life private. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Is there a difference between, you know, do, you, do you think of uh, sort of the, the public actor version of you as a different guy that uh, you hang up in a closet no, when you come I'm home? Not, no, I'm me. I'm yeah. me. And, and what, what, one of the things that, has been interesting in my life, you know, as I've been famous since I was 10 years old. And one of the things that has always been uh, true and part of my experience is that people are often sort of very surprised at how I come across when they meet me in person. What do they expect? Well, I don't know what they expect, but they don't get what they expect. That you're just like a normal guy who yeah. will have a conversation? Uh, yeah, like I'm just like a guy 
Like I'm, I'm very human. They might just, see, they might just see the Morpheus archetype. They might see the archetype and all that, but what they get is, I'm like, what are you doing here? I'm like, <laughs> I'm shopping for groceries. <laughs> I, I need apples and uh, cereal. Like you. <laughs> Wait, you eat? I you eat, eat food? I do. I even cook it. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Whoa. Stop what? it. Like, yeah. Like that. But it's, you know, I managed to hold on to that. <laughs> it's like you take the red pill. There's not some crazy reality. It's like, oh, I'm just making breakfast. Yeah, I got to make breakfast. I'm with my kid, you know. I'm out with friends or, you know, I'm happy to, like, say hello to you. Yeah. I'm happy to shake your hand and hug you. I don't really feel like taking a picture with you right now because I take pictures for a living. Yeah. And I'm not working right now. Right, right. And also, I think for people who aren't really in the whole social media game, it mm-hmm. sort of seems like, oh, you're just trying to use me as a prop. Oh, <laughs> and not you don't really care about having a conversation well, or getting I mean, to you know. It's become it's gotten to the point where people start the conversation with, "Hey, can we? Can I take a picture with you?" And people really, I mean, they really think that they've said, "Hello, how are you? Nice to meet you." Right, how right, you right. Can I take a picture? Right. But they haven't said any of that. They've right. just gone. Can I take a picture with you? Well, people get nervous though. They get nervous yeah, and they, they just nervous. they just blurt out the mission yeah, statement. Yeah, it just comes yeah. out. And so I do my best to be gracious with people and say thank you, but no. But I'm happy to meet you and give me a hug. Let's have a hug and let's have a handshake. Let's have a smile. And I think a hug is better a than hug a is picture. The best thing. The hug, the handshake, the smile is the best thing because then we both get something. Yeah. You know, then I get some love, you get some love. It's, it's a, a real, real human moment. connection. It's a human connection. And ultimately, that's what people want. What people really want is they want you to acknowledge them. Yeah. And they want to acknowledge you, and they want you to, in turn, to acknowledge them. And the photograph is the proof. But we don't need proof. We need experience. We need experience. Well, but also, you know, when you imagine when that person goes home later, they post whatever, and they go, look, I got a picture with Lawrence Fishburne. What happened? Well, nothing well, really. Nothing. But it's so much better to but say. it's so cool, right? <laughs> well, and I get that. I'm like, I get that. But so much better to say, I hu- Lawrence Fishburne hugged me on we the hugged. subway was today. Sweet. He was very nice. He was a very sweet man. And he hugged me. And we hugged. How old is your kid? My kids. Oh, kids. I have. Four children. My oldest turned 40. Oh, this year. wow. I have a 30-year-old, I have a 26-year-old, and I have a 10-year-old. The 10-year-old. So the 10-year-old mm-hmm. is interesting. The other ones kind of, you know, like they slid by as the, you know, mm. the Raiders of the Lost Dark Wall was closing on what the world was like before. But the 10-year-old, you know, the 10-year-old, how do you explain to a 10-year-old who I assume is mm-hmm. probably very digitally savvy, as yeah. most kids are, Yeah. how do you explain... This is what's real. This is what is not real. You're seeing a lot, you know, like mm-hmm. pay attention to this, be socially aware of this, and not get caught up in all the right. superfluous bullshit. Right. You know, you, you limit the time that they spend. You limit the time that they spend with the media, ultimately, and you give them as many real life experiences, communal experiences as you can. And um, you encourage them to use their brains and to think for themselves. Right. Yeah. But how do you do that when you care about them as a parent and you see them doing stuff where you're like, that's not going to be edifying or right, useful right. to well, you, but you, you know, just let it happen? You, no, no. You just, that's, that's what the limitations and the boundaries are for. It's like, no, nah, you don't get to do that yet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Maybe Someday. later. Maybe later, but not right now. I think now is probably one of the more challenging times for a child to grow sure. up because there are so many different influences in every direction and a lot of them are negative. <laughs> now, there's good stuff for and, sure. And they have all these opportunities. They have all these choices. Yeah. And, and But, you know, I mean, I think their brains are, you know, I think their brains are ready for it. I mean, because you've got to remember, you have children? No, not yet. Well... But we will. You're, you're having children? At some point. We've only been married a year. So, so you, you're going to see what's going to be cool for you is like you're going to see that, you know, your toddler is going to pick up your phone and your phone's going to be locked. <laughs> They're going to crack it. And, it, and your toddler's going to open it. <laughs> like not without, not going to ask you how to open it. Mm-hmm. Just going to open it. Yeah. Yeah. And be swiping and pinching and doing whatever it is. 
or whatever the new thing is, however these devices evolve, if they become, you know, you put it on the thing, you hit the button, and the hologram comes up, mm-hmm. and now you got the hologram, and you're, you know, you're FaceTiming with whoever, and it's a 3D thing. They're going to be able to do that without you giving them instruction. <laughs> yeah, I remember I got my first computer in 1981, mm-hmm. and and you know my parents who were not right. You know, like how do you know how to? How do, do you know the, that? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just you don't know. I so just, that's I mean, so I mean the kids as yeah it it might be a harder time, but I mean I don't know. It's like. What, isn't it always a harder time? It probably is always a harder time, and I think what you're—I think the thing about being about having more opportunities that the flip side of that is that there are more um, more people have voices now than ever have ever literally ever in human history. Yeah, ever in human history. Yeah, yeah exactly. But that's why it's so important that the voices are <laughs> good voices. That they're good voices. Yeah, <laughs> and where are the good voices, and what are they? You know when. Where are those voices that are the singular ones that, you know, that, that the voices that make us all stop and listen? Yeah. And those voices will emerge and they'll have to, it'll, it'll just take some time for those voices to emerge. We're not, we're not sure how, how they'll get to us. Right. I think those voices are still trying to figure it out. Right. Um, but always throughout human history, there are those people who rise up who are real leaders who remind us to look in the direction that's, you know, in here. Yeah, to look inward as opposed to looking outward for the solutions to whatever it is the problems that we're facing. Yeah, and those 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 voices will emerge. I'm just not sure how they'll get to sort of this generation of people or get to all of us in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they will. I mean, I have to, I have to believe that they will. Um, one of the reasons that we bought this house is mm-hmm. because the architect was a man named Paul Revere Williams. Oh, I know about Paul Do you know Paul Williams? Williams? Yeah. First, first uh, African-American, first African-American architect. architect recognized by the AIA. Yeah. And, he, and what was so fascinating about his story is that he, uh, you know, he in the 20s and the mm-hmm. 30s and the 40s, and, you know, he has different eras of architecture. But sure. it's heartbreaking but also inspiring to hear that this guy – was one of the best architects of his time and now of all time. Right. He had to learn how to draft upside down so that his white clients would not be uncomfortable. He had to draft upside down. Why? Because it was the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. Right. And so they were willing to have this genius man design their house. Right. But not sit next to him. Oh shit! Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. It's mind blowing. What, what this man overcame. That's insane. It is insane. Wow. And I'm sure. But that, he did it. But he did it. And I'm sure that when he got to the like the Lucille Balls and the you know like, sure, yeah. like that, they were not that. They way. were fine. Yeah. But but I think but a lot but a lot of people were not fine. Or not fine. <laughs> or not fine <laughs> with it. And oh, so wow. you know. And so when you look at this man's work and you see, and when I, when I see what he, you know, what he Mm -hmm. overcame and having to, and he just adapted and figured it out in a very toxic period of time, it is, it's incredible. That's insane. Yeah. I'm I'm, 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 I did not, I hope I didn't upset you by telling you. No, 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 you didn't upset me. I, I, I was wondering why I was, I was feeling the energy of the house. I was going, well, it's his the genius of his work is that he was no matter how big or small his structures mm-hmm. are, they all have a certain warmth and an intimacy. Yes, there's an intimacy in this house. And it's solid. It's like Yeah. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. yeah, they didn't fall down during the last earthquake. Right. My uh my agent uh uh his company is housed in a in a building that, that Paul Williams. Oh so, wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, Paul did the shrine, and he did, mm-hmm. I think he did LA, like, maybe the courthouse or LA City Hall or something. But, sure. But you see different pieces, and it's so fascinating when you see other structures, because you see you see these real, these themes that yes. that are so pervasive in his work. But yeah. he's, for anyone who has never heard of Paul Revere Williams, he is 
one of the most inspiring figures in American culture, and, and people should absolutely... Yeah, they should I, know about him. I hope that someday someone makes a movie that about be, him. That would be pretty Wink, pretty wink. Cool. Wink. Ah, Lawrence ah, Fishburne. Oh, yeah. There you go. Uh, <laughs> if only... If only. I knew someone who oh, recently met that look had at the that. ability to, to... To pull that off. Uh, yeah, to pull That's that off. That's interesting. Okay. Thank you. Please, thank you. Thank you. And I think the, I think the world will thank you. You know, when you when you, when you get home tonight, if you're just if you're having I a minute, will. Look, I'll go look, look him up because he's will. really fascinating. I'll go look him up. Yeah. And his granddaughter is still is around, still alive? and wow. she sort of curates and oh. very sweet woman sort of oversees all really all, yeah all the places all, all, all the, the properties places. yeah she's, wow. she's yeah. Yeah, That's her name's great. Karen Hudson. Really, really nice. Wow. Yeah. Well, you're lucky to have this place. I'm, we're so lucky to have yeah. this place. Yeah, we yeah. really are. It's a great part of town to live in, too. The, the east side. It's very nice. Did you ever live on the west side? I've lived in the Palisades, and I lived in Venice. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, I live in Hollywood now. Um, but I've never lived this far east, but this yeah. is beautiful. It's a great part of town, yeah. it's Because it, you, you really feel... Like there's it's some Los real, Angeles. It's Los Angeles. It's Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Hollywood. No. It's Los Angeles. <laughs> and there's something really special about the city of Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, east of La Brea. <laughs> something very special about it. I will tell you that I have known that for years. Not to disparage any West no, Siders, no, but it's all, it's all... West, West Side's a lot of bankers West Side's and great. business people. West, Side, West Side's great. It's lovely, but this is really beautiful. Yeah, I mean, when you really start looking at the nuts and bolts of, like, really classic Los Angeles, you see mm -hmm. a lot of people who came here to tell stories, you see a yeah. lot of art, you see a lot of artistic, uh -huh. you know, and then, it, but in, but you really have to look for it because there's a lot of, like, yes. shitty buildings that went up in the 70s, they're like, yeah. oh, we got it, we need a neighborhood here. Yeah, exactly. Should we consult, should we have some sort of grand plan? Fuck it, we don't have time! No, we don't have time, we don't have time, just put it up. Put it up, we'll put the road now, here, we'll connect by now traffic. Now it's all coming down, and they're putting up those cubes. Oh my god, the, the fucking cubes, cubes! The cubes, man. Well, I'm, I I have a cube. <laughs> I, I'll admit, I have a cube in, Bur in in Burbank in Studio City, but it's in Studio City. Yeah, it's not like it's not like in a neighborhood. No, no, it's no, not no. Not like no. in a neighborhood of Studio City. Yeah, it's I mean, right on like the word "studio" is in yeah. Studio City. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. So, so that that's totally and that's fine. my that's my my man cave where I keep all my my toys my. My art and all the stuff that I've collected over the years. Is it art or is it sci-fi stuff? Do you have it's it? art and sci-fi stuff and dolls and movies and what? Oh yeah. What do you have? I have like, gosh, what do I have? I have my comic book collection. Oh my god. Um, I have. What's the prize of that collection? Oh gosh, uh, at the moment it's the new Fifty Two. Got it. You like the new Fifty Two? I yeah. have because of, because of, because I worked on DC. Right. Because because of the very white thing. Right. They found out that I love comics. So from that time forth, they send me a box. Oh, that's great! Of the new Fifty Two. That's fantastic. So and then all of that's mint. It's bagged. It's like <laughs> nice. It's cool. Um, and then uh, you know, I have my my cars that are there. Yeah. Uh, I have a mask collection. Like I collect masks. Um, and then I have a lot of painting and. Rocks. I collect rocks, like you know, geodes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I have scholar rocks, and uh, and then I have my 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 laser disc collection. <laughs> the Criterion the collection. Criterion collection. Exactly. Fantastic. I have probably I have probably like you know five hundred laser discs. Oh my god. Yeah. Do you still watch them? Oh fuck yeah. Not. <laughs> I watch all the original Star Trek on laser disc. Oh, that's fantastic. There's like one on each side. There's like one episode on each side. Oh, the series, not like Wrath of Khan. Or oh no, 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 no. The original Shatner, series. Nimoy, DeForest Kelly, mm -hmm. James Doohan, Michelle Nichols. I mean, like fantastic Starship Enterprise. <laughs> I am so happy to hear that. Have you ever done a Star Trek movie? Have you? I have not. I was asked to be in this new version that Brian Fuller created. Discovery? Yeah. I was asked to do it, but I, unfortunately I couldn't. He wanted me to do, he wanted me to play a Klingon commander. And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, maybe, maybe one day. I hope, I hope that maybe happens. Maybe one day with this new group of, of, uh, of actors who are doing a great job. I really liked the, the new Star Trek. I didn't, I, I didn't want to, but I have to confess that I did like it. I... Adore Sonequa Martin Green. She mm. is fantastic, mm. and she's such a good human being, mm -hmm. and uh, and just a great a great actor. I, yeah. I love watching her. I wanted to, I, I got to tell you about 
Um, there's a my wife's family has a ranch up in Northern California. Really, and near that ranch is a essentially a mountain of obsidian. What? And it's just all obsidian, and what? it just looks like a black glass mountain. It's a, a mountain of dragon it's glass. It's a mountain of dragon glass <laughs> burned from the fires <laughs> of Tiamat. The fist of the first men. Ah. <laughs> when the earth first cooled. <laughs> Great. And the dragon people yes. tore themselves yes. from the bosom of the... Uh, yeah, we have Great. some... I'll show you. She has some obsidian. You go there right. and you can just take obsidian. Really? And it's it's incredible. It's just like this yeah. really sharp black... So in Northern California? Northern California, up by the Oregon border. Wicked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wicked. So I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you where it is. Yeah, and man, you can, I'll go up there and grab some dragon glass. Go up there. Um, is there anything... Uh, last flag flying. By the yeah. way... Looks, I mean, it's you and Carell and yeah, Cranston, Cranston yeah. and uh, Richard Linklater, yeah. and it, it it looks it looks like such a beautiful story. It's a really special little movie. It's um, I watched it and I was laughing through the first screening I watched. Hysterically, I watched it by myself, and I kind of got a little self conscious because I was like, "Should I be laughing?" And, and then I went and saw it in New York um, at the opening of the New York Film Festival. And I wept as much as I cried. Uh, it is really powerful, and it's really, uh, it's a surprise. I'll put it to you that way. It's very surprising. Like, it's not at all what you expect it to be. Um, and it really catches you off guard. Uh, that opens November 3rd. November 3rd. I believe. Yeah. And uh, and I honestly, anytime you are willing to come back on Thanks. and chat, this has yeah. been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, man. It's been nice talking to you, too. Thank, Thank you, you so much for coming to the house Absolutely. and having a tick. Absolutely. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne has been here. Uh, enjoy your burrito, everyone. All right. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like sure. to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts